My name is Jane Borowski, host of Invisible Tears. This podcast will be about my story and my words, talking about my own personal experiences and self-healing. I do not claim to be a therapist, counselor, or a licensed psychologist. Hello, my name is Amanda Bedard, and I'm the co-host, producer, and editor of Invisible Tears. I'm a Reiki master, certified professional life coach, spiritual coach, wellness coach, and a counseling practitioner. Some of the content you will hear in this podcast may be disturbing to some. Viewer discretion is advised, but it is our hope by putting this information out there that we may help others to heal. We will always be a platform for truth and healing. Brought to you by Glassbox Media, this is Invisible Tears. everyone. Welcome to Invisible Tears. Amanda here. And while I don't have Jane with me on this podcast today, I do have our special guest co-host, Abriana. How are you doing today, Abriana? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining. Of course. I know that you do like to do these overview cases with me. And so you actually selected this overview case. Yes, I did. Yes, you did. And can you explain a little bit why? you selected this overview case? I just kind of came up with the name that came to my mind and we found it on the website. So yeah. So that was really interesting. The name Rachel popped into your mind and we went on the Department of Justice, State of New Hampshire cold case website and we found Rachel Garden. And what was interesting was her status was listed as missing. So that intrigued me a little bit. I always like to pay attention to those statuses on the cold case website as well. We previously on Invisible Tears have done some overviews with some statuses that were interesting. It was like it was a cold case, but then it was solved. So we went ahead and reviewed the case and explained why. So most of the time you will see that it's just an unsolved case or an unsolved homicide of some sort. But it was interesting that her case was technically listed as missing. So I wanted to call that out too. Today, we're going to talk about the disappearance of Rachel Garden. The last time that Rachel was seen was on the evening of March 22nd, 1980. That is so long ago. Very long ago. That was actually before I was even born, Abriana. Really? Yeah. Oh my goodness. You just looked so surprised. Like you're like, you're so old, mom. No, I didn't know what year you were born. <laughs> Rachel disappeared March 22nd of 1980 in Newton, New Hampshire, where she lived. Just a little bit about Rachel that I found. And now there's not too much information on Rachel herself, so I want to make sure and highlight that. Rachel Garden was born on December 30th, 1964. She was the oldest of four children. She had a good relationship with her family except for a few arguments surrounding her having to babysit her siblings. Yeah. Which I think anybody can relate to, right? Who wants to babysit the younger siblings all the time, right? No one. I can't relate, though. (laughs) I know you're an only child. (laughs) My brother never wanted to babysit me. You were a devil child, though. You're blowing up my spot. Yes. Yes, I was. So those that knew her described her as fun-loving, friendly, and outspoken and could be rebellious from time to time. But also remember, she was 15, and she was a freshman in high school. 
While she could be headstrong and would complain to her friends about the rules her parents set for her, she was generally seen as a good kid. So she was, like I said, a freshman at Sanborn Regional High School. While she was there, she would sometimes skip class in order to drink alcohol and smoke with other students in the woods located near Maple Avenue. 15 as a freshman, though, isn't that a year late? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, so she would have been a year behind. When Rachel was not in school, she could be found spending time with her horse, who she loved dearly. I knew that part was going to get you too, Abriana. Animal lovers. Animal lovers are the best. We are both extreme animal lovers. That piece resonates with us. Yes. So the evening that Rachel went missing, March 22nd, 1980, she had walked from her house to Rose Corner Market, which is located on Route 108 in Newton, New Hampshire. She was a regular. Again, Newton, New Hampshire, back in the 1980s, maybe a population of 3,000. It was a super small town. So everybody sort of knew everybody. It's like the town that they would know your order before you got to say a word. Exactly. And so while she was there, she purchased some chewing gum and a pack of smokes, a pack of cigarettes with a $5 bill. She got her change and she left the store. And this was around 9 to 9.30. So when she initially went missing... This was the account that the police officers and that her family knew about. Now, according to her family, Rachel was en route to a friend's house. And the owner of the market said that he saw Rachel walking north on Main Street. So her family thought that that made sense because the friend's house that she was en route to that she was supposed to spend the night at was in that direction. However, she never arrived to her friend's house. And her friend said that she never saw her. The next morning, that next Sunday morning on March 23rd, when Rachel didn't return home, that's when her mother knew that something was wrong and reported her as missing to the police around 10 o'clock in the morning. So after her mother called the police to report her missing at 10 o'clock the next morning, so that was on a Sunday morning, the police found out in talking with this friend of hers, that she didn't know that they had any plans and she wasn't supposed to go over to her house that night. So let's pump the brakes a little bit on that. So she told her family she was spending a night at a known friend's house. Mm -hmm. According to her family, that's where she was supposed to be when she didn't return home the next day. That's when she was reported missing. In talking with said friend, they didn't have plans for her to spend the night and she hadn't seen her. The cops, and I think the opinion of many of the people, not her family, but many of the people in town, was that she took off. Yep. What do you think about that? I think, like, it's definitely a flag. Like, something was happening, whether she ran off to get, like, a head start on running away, um, or she was doing something that she was not supposed to. Possibly hanging out with people that she shouldn't be possibly I don't know going to a party or going somewhere with people that it would be easier for her parents not to know see here's my thought about that real quick though I feel like you would tell the person that you're allegedly like supposed to be that you're saying that you're going to be there so if something happened like they would know that's true like if it was your friend just give them the heads up hey i'm using you as a cover because i'm gonna go do this just to sort of let them know and give them a heads up that this is where my family this is where my parents think i am yeah 
But since she didn't do that, that's also like a another flag. What was she wearing? Mm, great question. She was wearing the following. A two-tone blue ski parka, jeans, a plaid shirt with silver threads, and brown lace-up shoes. She was also carrying a dark blue tote bag with the word things printed on it. She was approximately five foot one and weighed about 100 pounds. So she, she was a pretty teeny girl. Yeah. So unfortunately, because of the circumstances surrounding what the friend had told, she was considered a runaway at first for like the first few months, or at least that's what it seemed to be. Again, remembering that this is 1980, there were no Amber Alerts, no posters or flyers or anything like that was posted around, although they did do searches for her. Volunteers searched for her, police dogs and helicopters all did searches of the area of the woods and surrounding areas where she may have been last seen to search for her but no piece of evidence has been found i have a quick question yeah was it a normal amount of volunteers and like people on the search or was it still a smaller amount because i know there's only like one full-time cop in newton Based off of what I could find, it appeared that it was small groups of volunteers. So it was smaller than like the average? I would think so. That probably doesn't help with the waters and everything. Yeah, so we were curious and we started looking at the area, having never been to Newton, New Hampshire ourselves. And again, a super small town, but there are lots of bodies of water around this area. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Newton, New Hampshire either, it is on the south eastern border of New Hampshire. It's extremely close to the Massachusetts border and very close to the coastline as well. Going back to 1980, she essentially disappears out of thin air, right? The last place that she was known is at this market. Her friend that she was apparently where her end destination was, never heard from her. She never made it there. Her parents didn't see her the next morning, reported missing. And so they start searching, even though People think she may have just taken off based off of the circumstances. Over the years, a handful of things have happened and a handful of tips have been submitted to the police departments. And so let's go over those. Let's unpack those a little bit. I think number one, one of the biggest pieces to call out to was the time that sort of elapsed when it was sort of assumed by the police department that she was a runaway. That was critical timing right there. Unfortunately, the first 24 to 48 hours is really critical when somebody goes missing to really get the fresh trail about what happened to them and try and gather information and details. So unfortunately, that assumption, I don't think helped her case at all. Especially with her age too. Yeah. The younger they are, I think it is, the more critical it is to find them sooner. Great point. So I think another important piece to make sure and call out to was that when they searched Rachel's home, Rachel had left behind all of her belongings. So with that being said, I think it alludes to your point, Aubriana, of possibly just going to be with people or going to do things that... Maybe she wasn't supposed to be doing as opposed to running away. Yeah. I would think that 
a 15-year-old girl would probably pack up some of her personal belongings and have them with her, even if it was small things, if she were planning to take off. Yeah. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. And now back to our episode. Now, years after her disappearance, two witnesses came forward to say they had actually seen Rachel talking with three men in a dark colored car near Rose Corner Market. It was reported by these witnesses that Rachel knew these three guys and that these three guys had troubled reputations and were involved in criminal activity. Allegedly, one of these individuals, one of these three men, later would end up serving time in prison for assault and rape. Now, I don't know why it took years for these witnesses to come forward. I don't know. It kind of baffles me. I mean, the only thing that I could think of was maybe their age. Maybe they were like the same age as them and they wanted to wait a little bit so they could be more credible. That is true. Or you're right. Maybe they were the same age as them. Maybe they were scared of them. Or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they were intimidated by them. I don't know. But it saddens me that this piece didn't come to light with the police departments until years after. Yeah. Going along with this piece of information with these apparent three men, allegedly, while in a bar in Haverhill, Massachusetts, which is, again, really close to Newton, one of these men apparently ended up confessing to killing Rachel. Crazy, right? That is. And while specifics about this confession have not been released, so that with the understanding that the the police have this information, it did prompt investigators to dig up a site off of Route 108 beside a stone wall and a stream. However, no remains or evidence were found. You said that she knew him? Yes. According to the two witnesses that observed her interacting with these three individuals on the night that she disappeared, according to those two people, they knew that Rachel knew these three men. Oh, okay. So since this guy knew her, then maybe he was just trying to get attention to the case again. I mean, that is a great point. Well, I, well, I don't necessarily understand the reasoning behind it. Like, I don't really understand the reason for false confessions per se, but there could be a multitude of reasons why people do falsely confess to things. Maybe he was actually a really good friend of hers. And, and like you said wanted to get attention on the case again. It's weird that the confession would come with digging up a specific location and no evidence would be found. Yeah, it's regardless, it's really weird. I don't think that guy did it though. I think he was just trying to get like attention to it. Yeah, and that would explain as to why the location that was given, there was no evidence found there if he didn't do it. Maybe we should look more up on these three guys. Yeah, so it's going to be super hard to find any information on these three guys, only because since they've never been publicly named as being a person of interest or suspects, it's going to be hard to actually find out their identities. Yeah, I was just thinking maybe they like were with her for a very long time. Maybe they were like her buddies, you know. It would be interesting to hear what their story of the night she disappeared was. So we can try and dig, but I'm not sure we're going to find any sort of information on them. 
So it sounds like Rachel's parents didn't give up. They consulted with psychics and even hired private investigators, but nothing ever came of working with these individuals. It sounds like there were even a couple of sightings or possible sightings of Rachel in both Haverhill and Hampton Beach. And it sounds like her mother followed up on those sightings, but both of them remain unconfirmed. It's noted that in the 1990s, the state major police crime unit excavated a 60 square foot patch of woods in town, but no evidence was recovered. And at one point, even during this investigation, a $10,000 reward was even offered. But still, nothing, nothing tangible. In 2008, Newton police received a tip that led them to search Ice Pond and Country Pond located within the area. Six hours were spent using sonar and GPS equipment to look at the bottom of Ice Pond, while divers spent two days searching Country Pond. However, the searches brought up nothing. About that, I was looking up on Google Maps where this market is, the corner market, and then Country Pond's right next to it. And then I was seeing that a lot of the bodies of water are connected by a river. So I think they said they should search all of it. So Do more searching of the waterways and the connecting waterways too. Yeah, I agree. I still can't find Ice Pond, though. Yeah, that is weird. That is weird. Maybe it's just super small. Maybe we'll have to take a trip out to Newton. Maybe. It's right next to Hampton. It is right next to Hampton. It sounds like in 2013, too, the then police chief of Newton passed on a potential tip to the state cold case unit, but specifics haven't been revealed about what that tip was or if anything happened with that tip. And according to police, they have chased down every single lead in the case, along with the use of, you know, search dogs, psychics. They've dug dug up numerous possible grave sites based off of tips or information, but no body, no pieces of evidence have been found. So given the case is actually still open, they're unable to release any information really that they have to the public. It is important to know that Rachel does have dental records and DNA on file. So if any evidence or if any potential evidence is found, there can be DNA matching or dental records match based off of that. I have a quick question. Yeah. Does anything say about what the psychic said? Nope. No specific pieces of information were divulged about what the psychics were able to tune in and pick up on. Um, I think generally speaking in this spot, the only time those pieces of information are sort of divulged is when it leads to something, but it leads to some sort of lead or, or something like that. Yeah. So I couldn't find any documentation on what any of the psychics involved with any of these cases picked up. And it sounds as if her family was even involved with hiring um, or consulting with psychics. Yeah. I was just wondering if they got anything. Yeah. It would be nice to know if the psychics did pick up anything. And another interesting piece of information, too, that I want to just make sure and put out there was I did not actually find one other podcast where this case was covered. So we actually might be the first podcast to put out an overview case about Rachel Garden. 
It was very much covered in news outlets, though, and by organizations as well. So I want to make sure and call out those places that did do stories or periodically cover her case. So WMUR has uh, covered her case multiple times, and even most recently at the beginning of this past year. They actually wrote another update case on her, of course, with no updates, but at least WMUR has picked it up. That's nice. They're like keeping up on it. Yep, exactly. Keeping it fresh and keeping it in the news just in case somebody has some sort of piece of information. Stories of the Untold, The Charlie Project, NBC News, Seacoast Online, Uncovered, The Doe Network, The Eagle Tribune, and Carriagetown News have all written articles about her case. I also obviously did find some information on some of the forums too. I think it's also pretty important to note out there that her family really isn't quoted all that much um, in being public with any sort of information. And honestly, I understand. I get it. Um, I even saw a report that said that her family even moved outside of the area. They actually even relocated. I can't imagine what her family has gone through for these past 43 years. The entire purpose of us covering this case here on Invisible Tears is we want to make sure and make public any of these missing and cold cases to make people aware that these individuals are still missing. They're still not found. We still don't know what happened to them in the hopes that possibly someone knows something, even if it's the smallest thing that's popping into your mind. Sometimes the smallest tips can actually break a case. So my thoughts go out to her family. Did you have anything else about this case? Uh, No, I don't think so. The only thing is, I think we should keep updated on this one, even if it's like a short episode. Yep, absolutely. I think so too. So for anyone listening to, if you have any sort of information about Rachel, please make sure and utilize the tip form that we'll make sure and put in the show notes for the cold case unit. But I also have the contact information for the police department as well. And we'll make sure and put that in our show notes. I don't know. I just sort of get the feeling that somebody might actually come forward with another piece of information or some other tips. So with that being said, until next time. Bye everyone. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Invisible Tears. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast to hear all future episodes. Click into our link tree too in the episode description to find and follow us on all our social medias. And it also links to our website, invisible-tears.com, where you can keep current on any events that may be coming up, read more about Jane and the team, and read more about all the Connecticut River Valley unsolved cases. If you want to learn more about my wellness practice, Guided Path Wellness, head to guidedpathwellness.org. There you can read more about me and my certifications, more about the Reiki and coaching services I offer both in person and remote, and read all about my products for sale that I make through the practice. Feel free to utilize the contact us section on the website with any questions or utilize that free 15-minute consultation booking button if you have any questions about what might work for you. Evil may exist in this world, but we will not let it win. See you next episode.